This is Live All Talk on Challenges of Treating Chronic Pain. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at Union Point Health, St. Luke's Hospital. Treating chronic pain can be a complex process involving many different factors. Joining us today to discuss this process, challenges faced, and ways to treat chronic pain is Dr. Roman McGeed, a new physician with St. Luke's Rehabilitation and Pain Center. Dr. McGeed, welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So you're in with Dr. Matthew. That's right. Who's the best dressed man in healthcare? What's that like being with the best dressed man in healthcare? Big shoes to fill, right? Does it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, unequivocally, best dressed man in healthcare. Yeah. No, well, welcome. Welcome the community. Welcome the medical staff. And we're happy to have you here. You know, I think pain has been a challenge uh, with the, the opioid epidemic, the, the pushback against. Uh, Oxycontin, uh, the hillbilly heroin. I mean, there's been a lot, and and I think, I think we, I think the pendulum probably swung, swung too far, and doctors just became avoidant of patients that had chronic pain, and I think they struggled for a while, uh, and they might probably still struggle. But tell us what chronic pain is and your approach to it. Yeah, so starting out with, you know, simple definition is, you know, chronic pain, if you Google, this is pretty much what you'll find, um, is when the pain exceeds the time frame, the usual time frame for a condition or a disease process. And a rule of thumb is that's about three months or so. And that's obviously not always the case. And some conditions, cancers and the like, you know, you're, you expect to have pain that's, you know, that's going to stay along with the condition, unfortunately. And that's three months is kind of a helpful metric there. Uh, and, and it is a challenge, right? And I think one of the helpful things to, to know, especially in light of the opioid, opioid epidemic, is that that's not the only tool we have. Um, it's a useful tool, especially for acute pain and in those first few phases, but there's a lot of other things that can be, can be done or, or worked on outside of that that are still very helpful. Um, but it's part of the part of the challenge is, is what pain even is, um, and it's it's more than just a physiological sensation. It's an emotional and sensory experience related to the potential for actual or possible pain. So in in the same way where you know if you can put your hand on a hot stove, you're thinking about all the other times you've got burned. Sometimes it's enough to to see like the impending hot thing about to touch you and you're already experiencing pain. Sure. Before it even, you know, before it even happens. And that's part of the challenge. And with chronic pain, you can, there's these ruts of, of emotion, you know, of, of emotions, of memories, of, of suffering that gets built on. So that this really becomes a lot to unpack when, when dealing with it. One of my pet peeves with chronic pain is, or patients, you know, I, everyone's pain tolerance is for them. Right. It's not for anyone else. So when they say, oh, I have a high pain tolerance or they, they have a high pain tolerance, it's, they have their pain tolerance. It's not high. It's not low. It's theirs. Yep. Um, that's a pet peeve of mine. So I get, I'm glad I got that out of here. <laughs> um, what What's your appro- approach to the patient with chronic pain? When you first meet them, What? how do you approach to, I'm sure it's setting expectations yeah. uh, is a big role. So tell us about that. It's, it's setting expectations and it's also... I, what I like to do is I like to let people talk for a little bit and l- let it off their chest because I think for a lot of people, they feel like they've been blown off so many times. And that's not always the fault of the provider. 
um, a lot of time there's, and it's not really the, it's not really anyone's fault, I guess is what I'm trying to say, because there's so many other things at play. There's a search for an underlying medical condition, sometimes one that can be found in a satisfactory way and treated, and sometimes one that, that can't really be, you know, there's not always an, sort of an easy answer for why people are hurting. So I like to let people vent for a little bit, um, let people talk, tell me what, the, what they're feeling. At some point, obviously, you know, it's cutting them off or really guiding, guiding them and letting people feel like they have a space to be heard and then we're going to work on it together. Because so I think that's, that's what, when I often see patients, they have this in their head that no one's listening to me. Right. No one's, you know, I've seen 15 yes. doctors and they've all, say. no one's done anything for me. People put me on all these medications and none of them work. No one understands how my body, you know, it's stuff like that. And they're not necessarily wrong in saying that because that's what their experience has been. Because people go to people go to the hospital, people go to the doctor because something's hurting, not because there's an an, an issue. The pain is the issue, and, and our job is to figure out what else is going to yeah. happen. Yeah, yeah. You, I doubt uh, you're the first doctor to see these patients. You know what I mean? Of they've, <laughs> yeah, they've been, yeah. been seen by a lot, and it's so easy uh, for to add a medicine when you see someone. Yeah. Um, I, when I previous lives, when I did outpatient medicine, I was so proud of myself when I didn't start a medicine. You know, they came yeah. in and either it was a musculoskeletal injury or we just talked through it or, you know, and I they didn't need a medicine, right? You know, because I just felt like, okay, this is one more. And it doesn't take very long for these patients to be on 17 medicines when, when you know, and three of them are counteract side effects of others. I mean, that that is that is just the way it is, unfortunately. Yeah. And it's a challenge. I mean, I think there's there's this sort of barrier professionally to take medicines off sometimes because you don't want to step on somebody else's toes. Oh, yeah. So, you know what I'm it's saying? Uh, Chesterton's fence. You know, C.K. Chesterton said, if you see a fence, it might not look functional, but somebody put it there. Yeah. You know, so there one time there was a reason. So you're right. You don't want to start taking people off stuff because there might have been a very important reason why they're on it. It just might not be apparent to you at that time. Yeah. That's, a, that's a great observation. Um, but, you know, and it's interesting, but and it's, it's, I think that's some, sometimes my frustration um, where not putting someone on a medicine is a great, is really is a great thing when you can avoid it. But I think sometimes from the patient's perspective, you don't see that, you know, as, as the patient, I don't really see the thought process and the work that goes into managing a, managing my med list, managing like and not putting me on medications because I'm going to the doctor. I want a pill. I want something to <laughs> to take, you know, right. to make me yeah. feel better. So yeah. what, we didn't do anything all this time. So wait, sat in the waiting room and had a 10-minute visit and nothing happened. I don't get it. That's, you know, that's a So it, I think trying to communicate that can be really challenging to people sometimes of like, Here's what we're like, like to get people to give people a sense that hey, we did something today. There's yeah. no new medications, but we're this, we're doing something. Here's a plan. Here's something actionable. I think that's that's great advice. Um, I've always felt there's two types of patients. There's the, there's ones that want a fraternal relationship with their physician, um, and they you know they want to make decisions together. They want, and then there's the paternal relationship where they just want you to tell them what to do. You know, they, I mean, they're just like, yeah, doc, whatever. Um, and you have to be able to balance those two. You know, you can't treat a fraternal patient paternally or vice versa. It sounds like you have a good grasp on that. So, but let's talk about, you had mentioned when we started that there's other things to give besides opioids. Mm -hmm. 
So what are some of those things? Um, and not all of them are medicines too, right? I mean, that's the other thing that I try to remind myself too is, you know, be, be less, starting with the medicines since we're on that, um, there's non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, NSAIDs, and there's a, a variety of those based on how strong they are, how likely they are to, how likely they are or are not to irritate your, your gastric lining, um, how long they last in your system, et cetera, and picking, and, and how accessible they are. Does it need a prescription or is there something over the counter? So non-steroidals are great for, for some people. Um, Tylenol is super, can be super helpful. And I think sometimes that takes a little bit of education to convince people that it helps because it's easily accessible and everyone knows it. I tried taking Tylenol, it took 500. It didn't help me at all. And sometimes it's not the right dose. Sometimes right. a thousand, three times a day, right? Like, and that's still a safe, I have to say it out loud, that's still a safe dose. Yeah, so very much a safe dose to take. A thousand to go, you know what I mean? Um, but, but just upping the dosage and, and taking it regularly for a couple of days can really be a huge help. And that doesn't have a risk of, of kidney injury, of gastric injury. Um, topicals, uh, capsaicin cream, uh, diclofenac gel is huge. Voltaren. Right? Voltaren, yeah. 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 Commercials. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, but Voltaren's, I mean, Voltaren's ex- excellent stuff. And, and topicals are great because they're easy to apply. They're not interacting with any of the other medication, the 17 other meds that someone might right. be on. Um, and, you know, and there's a whole host of ice is great ice and heat, and sometimes that's a process of experimentation. Some I feel like people have their favorites when prescribing. People like ice more. Some people like heat more. And all, at the end of the day, it's really just whatever's helping. So from kind of things to apply to yourself or to take, those are the things I'm often thinking about. Um, then there's a physical components of just mobility. You know, let's say motion is lotion for your joints, for your body. And, and there's a motivating process I've there not, too. Not, I've never heard that. I really know that motion is it's, lotion. It's really, like it's really catchy, right? Yeah, I it is. I mean, it's, it's accurate, you know. But yeah, getting people moving, yeah, is is huge. And that, I mean, that has its psychological and emotional ramifications too. More blood pumping, not just to the areas that are hurting, which helps with healing, but also to your brain. Also, I feel like at least for me, if I'm if I'm stuck in a rut, I have to force myself, like get up, do five push-ups, do something, walk outside. And those things, you know, it's, I feel like that the mobility aspect of feeling better really intersects a lot with some of the social and psychosocial elements, too. You're forced to go outside. You might interact with a couple of people where you otherwise would have been alone all day at home sitting on the couch. And those things beyond the, like the physiological help, um, there's also those other aspects of social, of feeling like you did something with your day, feeling like you, you saw your neighbor. Uh, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, um, more formalized, very, very useful too. Um, and f- partially for those also, again, ob- the very obvious physiological reason, you're strengthening the things that are weak, you're stretching the things that are tied, but you're also talking with somebody that you would, you're forced to interact with some other people around you. Oftentimes you're, you're in a group of people, which can be helpful. Um, PT can be tricky in the sense where I think a lot of people have had some sort of physical therapy. I, I feel like I see two groups. There's the people that have had physical therapy and it didn't work for them. And sometimes it truly didn't work. Sometimes it's not 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 the right things were being targeted. And another course of PT of physical therapy or occupational therapy targeting different elements. Maybe we need to work on balance. Maybe a different group of muscles really is what needs to be targeted. And that can make a huge difference. Um, and then there's folks that 
will kind of feel like, well, I can work out at home, especially the more athletic people. Um, like, well, I, I know how to work out. Why do I need to go to PT and do kind of what feels like a lame workout when I'm, you know, I'm benching 500 pounds, right. right? Why do I need to do this? And, you know, for, and it's for the same reasons convincing someone they need a teacher for something. Like, well, why do I need a guitar teacher? I play guitar. I don't right. play the guitar, by the way. I'm very, very bad at that. Yeah, I don't play any um, instruments. But... But, but yeah, but trying to convince someone that, you know, it's helpful to have a teacher, someone to fine tune, which you're already doing. Because if you, especially for the person that's athletic, right, or already engaged in sports and is hurting, and it's something musculoskeletal, if, if you were doing everything right, you wouldn't be hurting in the first place, right? So there's something needs to be fine tuned, something needs to be adjusted. Um, we talked about what, motion, medicines. Sometimes there's bracing, sometimes, you know, wheelchairs, orthotics, things that can be helpful to support when just motion isn't enough. Sometimes the emotional components. Again, I think there's a lot of stigma and resistance. And this is probably the big one, especially for chronic pain, is seeing a psychologist, getting therapy or a licensed social worker, or someone that's, you know, administering psychotherapy can be can be really, really huge um, because that can... Uh, with the emotional aspect of pain, the psycho- psychological aspects of pain that we talked about not too long ago, those oftentimes are this underlying component of I, I, the chronicity of it. And I've, not that I've had a lot of patients, but ones that have met with a psychologist, Dr. Tallman and his team. He's great. Yeah. yeah. And his whole team. I've never had a patient come back and go, that was wasted time. Yeah. You know, they always come back and go, oh my gosh, that was so worth it. You know, yeah. so... So it, that is a huge component, you know, mind over matter. I mean, yeah. that's, that's not, that's not just a saying, you know, I mean, there is some truth to that from that standpoint. I feel like there's this acknowledging of weakness that has to happen, like a little bit of humility that has to happen with acknowledging, you know what, I'm going to give this a shot because I feel like for a lot of people and honestly, myself included, where the, the initial reaction is, well, my leg, you know, my leg, my back is hurting. This has nothing to do with my head. I'm fine. What do you mean? There's something, something you're saying something's wrong with me. And is this argument and a defensive right, right, wall that right. comes up? Um, you know, so I'll be the, the first to say not necessarily for pain, but I have gone to, I've gone to therapy before. That's been relatively helpful. And it doesn't mean you have to go all the time, but at least to have some actionable things to, to think about, to work on and just keep in mind, you know, it can be on a PRN and an as needed basis potentially, right? And just anything that brings those walls down. Like going there, once you're there, you realize the, the value of right. it. Well, but actually getting there, I think, is a challenge. You sometimes. know, one of the you one of the human traits that we all have is you just being alone is not good. Yeah. Trying to do it alone, trying to think you can solve the problem alone. Um, you know, solitary confinement's the most brutal punishment a prisoner can get. You know, I mean there's yeah. there is something to that human interaction on multiple levels, and we shouldn't minimize it. Absolutely. Well, how can a listener uh, get an appointment with you? Um, Best way to get an appointment is to call call the office, um, the office with American Rehabilitation Medicine at St. Luke's uh, 380 points with Dr. Matthew and myself would be the best way to get an appointment with me. Outstanding. Uh, Last question. Why did you, how'd you end up in this specialty? It the, you know, the, the short answer is that the, there's really no short answer. Um, it's, 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 a long, it's a long process to get here, but um, my, my training is not, not just in pain medicine, but it's in physical medicine rehabilitation. So it's really anybody with a physical disability. And where, where I step in is oftentimes with, 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 with the people who aren't 
acutely ill, right? You're in the hospital. You're not the people who, you know, who thankfully have survived, but aren't necessarily a place where they can go home and aren't functioning to the best of their ability. So my role is to help increase function, help increase quality of life and help people get home. And I found that along the path of figuring out what I wanted to do within medicine was immensely gratifying to me was being able to work on that and working with people to get them back to their lives beyond just being alive. I think we see that up in the inpatient floor rehab mm-hmm. where, where you, you, your unit you work on is the staff really appreciate. They get to see people get better over four yeah. weeks or six weeks or whatever time they're there. Uh, where the other floors that are so brief of a stay, you don't ever necessarily get to yeah. see that, you know, and that's a big deal. And that's not to say that people don't get better on the other floors. No, either. I know, but um, you know, it's, you a, know, it's a blessing to be able to spend absolutely. that much time with folks. Absolutely. It really is. They really develop friendships. Uh, Dr. McGee, thank you so much for joining me. This has been great information. Once again, this is Dr. Roman McGee, physician with St. Luke's Rehabilitation and Pain Center. For more information, visit unipoint.org. Thank you for listening to Live Well Talk On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your family, friends, neighbors, strangers about our podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, be well.